Summer is now in the rearview mirror, and school is indeed back in session. And so welcome back to your retirement school on the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. We have a great episode today with someone who writes a lot about retirement and is reflecting upon his first two years in retirement will share his lessons learned with us. Brian Futes lives on an island off the coast of Washington State with his wife of 32 years and the friendliest cat you'll ever meet. He has an MBA, a Mensa certification, a wide variety of technical skills, and a decent collection of writing awards and recognitions. His left brain took the lead for most of his career, but in retirement, he's giving it a rest and focusing on creative passions. One of those passions is writing, specifically to help demystify retirement so average everyday people can understand, anticipate, and embrace the joys of retirement. You'll find Brian's spoken and written words, fiction, nonfiction, essays, poetry, and humor scattered across the internet on sites like mine, Retirement Wisdom, Medium, his own site, where there's a link to it in the show notes, brianputes.com, Discover Walks, Smart News, Making It Millionaire, Towards Data Science, Entrepreneur's Handbook, Better Humans, and many more. And while Brian has just retired in 2021, I noticed that he was writing about retirement and preparing for it way back in, I think, in 2017. I've read a lot of his pieces along the way, highly recommend them, and it's a pleasure to talk with him today. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Well, yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's a real honor to be here, Joe. Appreciate you inviting me on. So I want to take us back in time to begin to the, when you were looking to retire, when you were deciding to retire, what were you wrestling with back then and what led you to decide that the time was right? Yeah, so I don't imagine I'm much different from anybody else. As we get older, we get closer to retirement, we start thinking about it and we start getting anxiety about what is it going to be like? When am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? And so I started getting those pangs of anxiety, if you will, sometime around 2018. And I did, by the way, retire in 2021. So I had a few years to sort of stress over it. And looking back on it, what I see as the, the three biggest elements that I had to face to fight through, one, the first one would be like the fear of what's it like on the other side. Nobody really knows what it's like on the other side until you're there, right? You can read books about it. You can talk to people. You can do all that. but until you're there, you don't know what it's like. And so I, I had that fear and I had to fight my way through it. I liken that to parachute jumping. I talked to people about this before, right? You can read about parachute jumping all day long. You can talk to people about it all day long, but until you step out of that airplane, you have no idea how exciting and thrilling it is to be on the other side of the retirement line. So fear was a big one there. And, and then what am I going to do is the second thing that, that I thought of is how do I fill my day? Looking back on it, I talk to people all day long these days about retirement. And, and one of their biggest concerns is I'm bored or, or how do I fill my day? What am I going to do? And so, so that was a big one, too. The third, probably the number one most important one is do I have enough money to live the lifestyle that I want to live and make it all the way through until I die and not run out of money? Because running out of money when you're in your 80s and 90s is a really bad idea because you can't go back to work, right? So I struggled with those and my way of getting around it was to, to learn as much as I possibly could. And I wrote it down. I started making notes and sharing it with my friends, talking with my wife and all that sort of stuff. And I ended up writing about these things. And that's kind of how I got into writing. And 
perhaps we'll talk about that a little more later. But I did find that struggling with those three elements were the biggest for me. I'm fortunate that I'm healthy or was healthy, still am, right? And I don't have family members or anybody that I need to to care for. I wasn't booted out of the job because I got downsized or anything like that. So I probably followed a more natural path, if you will, into retirement. And I didn't pull the trigger until I was confident that I could answer those three questions with a fair degree of confidence. So what's life like today versus before you retired? In a word, spectacular. I love retirement. I sleep well. I enjoy my days. I enjoy getting up in the morning. I enjoy interacting with people. I'm busy. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. Do you remember the nights on Sundays when you would stress out getting ready for Monday because you had a meeting with the board or you had staff meetings or you had all these sorts of things the next morning? So you'd be up late, your stomach would be churning, the anxiety would be fighting through all of your your limbs and you'd lay there in bed and stare at the ceiling and go, "Ah, damn it, I forgot to do something. And then you'd, what do you do? Get up in the middle of the night, make notes. It was such a relief. It's, it was a freedom. It just lifted off of my shoulders. And those first weeks and months, it was just liberating. I enjoyed every bit of it. Looking back at it, there's a little bit of, of a miss, right? I mean, it's, it's a give and take. When you retire, you give up some things along with that which you gain. The freedom that you gain means that you're no longer interacting with people at your office. Many of the people who are friends of mine, some still are. Also, the complex problem solving. I miss that. So it would be nice if I could have retired and sort of kept some of those social connections and some of these things that stimulate my brain. And then I'm also also getting old. As you get old, you know, things change. You know, the brain doesn't work as fast as it used to. The the joints get a little older and it's it's this never-ending slow march of decline. That's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And and I would dare that the all of the positive stuff is far better than the little bits of negative that went along with it. If we're getting old, we're the lucky ones. That's a good point. As they say, the alternative is worse, right? <laughs> so when you look back on the two years, what was different about year two versus your rookie year of year one? The rookie year. Yeah, I love that. Well, like I said, when you first step out of the office, actually it was a weird feeling. You know, leaving the office, or in my case, since it was in the middle of the pandemic, closing the computer and shipping it back home again, you feel disconnected. The first feeling I had when I closed my laptop and knew that I was never going to be interacting with work again, I felt a sort of a pang of regret briefly, briefly. And then I woke up the next morning and I felt so free. Oh, this is great. I don't have to go to work. I don't have to worry about it. And I realized I had a good night's sleep. And the first few weeks or months was a little bit like those, it was like in intoxication is probably the best word for it, right? I was so excited and I was running around talking to people and hiking and doing things with my wife. And I just enjoyed every single instant. I had a hard time going to sleep because I was having so much fun not working. And then over the course of the first year, I was deer in the headlights. It was, I have to get everything done I possibly could. This is my personal experience, Joe, not, not everyone else's, but, and I know it's different for everyone, but this first year was chaotic. I went hiking, I went kayaking, I went bicycle riding, I rebuilt bathrooms, I went and visited friends and family, played with the kids. 
played with them and they're professional. They're, they're professional, their jobs. I wasn't like playing with little kids, but you know, we'd go downtown, we'd have dinners, we'd do all kinds of fun stuff. And then I think slowly, probably at some point during the second year, that level of intoxication sort of just blended into a rhythm. And I settled into a rhythm where I am right now. And each morning I get up, my hobby is writing. As you've mentioned before to me, I like to write. So in the mornings, I'll get up and write. And that involves interacting with people. It involves conference calls. It involves uh, comments, research, not just hands on the keyboard, but a lot of additional activities, right? So it's great that I can sort of stretch my muscles, uh, my writing muscles or by writing. I write fiction, I write articles, I'm working on a novel, a variety of different things. So I go in a lot of different directions. And then I can just close the laptop and say, hey, now it's time to do something different. So it happens around noon or so. And then my wife, who's retired as well, she and I will often go and, and go on a big hike. We might drive to a place nearby. We live by the water. We live by the forest in uh, Washington State. And we can literally walk from our house in to see the lakes and the rivers and the valleys and mountains and whatnot. So we do a lot of that. I exercise in the afternoons, bike riding sometimes, or just work out at home if it's raining. I live in Washington. Again, it rains a lot here. So I get that. Um, the afternoons and evenings, we do a little cooking, reading, watching TV, a little bit more writing, perhaps. And interspersed with all of that is a lot of the fun things that I was talking about before. I, I socialize. I'll go and, and goof around with the kids. I'll go take care of, of our parents. They're aging too, right? So we need to spend time with our parents. I don't have grandkids yet, but I would be goofing around with the grandkids. That'd be fun. We do a lot of travel. So there's a lot of planning that goes into travel. So my days are filled. They're full. And at night when I go to bed, I'm thankful because I'm tired. I lay down and I fall asleep probably in, in 10 minutes or less. So it's that rhythm that I'm enjoying right now. I think the first year was a lot of frenetic craziness. And right now in the second year, it's just starting to sort of land the plane and it's, it's stabilized, which I'm enjoying very much. It sounds like you're hitting your stride in this yeah. second year. So Brian, what surprised you most about retirement? Oh, what surprised me most? Well, okay, so let's talk money for a minute. Money, I told you, I planned a lot. I built a calculator and I come from the technology background, right? So uh, software development and, and whatnot. And I built a calculator that would put everything to shame. And I knew exactly how much money I was going to spend, how much I'd have. And well, I got into retirement. It turns out it's a little more expensive than I thought. I've read a number of times where you can expect expenses to drop by as much as 10, 20, even 30%, right? That I did not experience. My expenses actually went up in these first two years by about 10%. I read also somewhere subsequently that one sees an increase in, in expenses in the first years of retirement. So it's not a straight line. It actually pops up a little bit because of what I just described, because of all the craziness and you're doing a lot of traveling and you're spending a lot of money having fun and kind of getting your feet wet. So unfortunately, yeah, my expenses have gone up and now my wife and I are saying, well, we need to kind of pull back on the reins a little bit to, to slow down, but the expenses will go down over the coming years, I look at, uh, I talk to other people who are retired. I talk to my mom and my wife's parents and, and they don't spend an awful lot. It, it definitely drops in the coming years. But that was something that surprised me. I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to spend money on? I'm going to be retired. I have nothing to, well, I was wrong. 
I have plenty to uh, to spend money on. The second thing that that surprised me was the degree of busyness that I have. You hear people say it all the time. I'm I never knew how I got all this stuff done when I was working, and it's it's a true statement. I have no clue how I did all these things when I was working because I'm busy from I get up at six in the morning and I go to bed at ten or eleven at night, and I'm usually doing something at at every moment of of the day. So that's surprising, and I that's on me. That's not the nature of every single person who's retired. A lot of people relax and enjoy tea in the morning and read a book in the afternoon. And, and that's not my style. Not yet. It will. And then the final thing was, I guess it was health. I, I mentioned it a minute ago, but when you hit your 60s, I retired at 63. So I retired a little bit early. And by the way, healthcare costs are, are actually as high as people say they are. They're, it's kind of scary. But I'm 65 now. So I'm, I'm on Medicare and that's, that's a lot more reasonable. My wife will be there in a little while too. So, so that'll be helpful. But the actual health of my body is slowly starting to decline. I mentioned that a little while ago. And I, I'm actively exercising and being busy, moving, physically staying in shape as best as I can because retirement shows not about the number of years. It's about the number of healthy years. And so that surprised me that I would see a decline as quickly as I did. It's not bad. I'm just seeing it sort of dip down a little bit. But I want to maximize those healthy years the best I can. So those are the ones that, that jumped out at me. So what have you learned about yourself during retirement? Oh, yeah. So I'm a lot different of a person than I was when I was working. And it really surprised me that I was as creative as I am. I like I said, I was in a, a technology position. My my entire career practically was was in technology, and that's the left brain logical side, uh, very analytical. And then I started before I retired. I started like I said, exploring, jotting down notes, and I actually started writing a little bit before I retired. In about 2019, I started publishing articles and whatnot, and then I kind of got the bug and I started writing. And that's a creative thing. And I've been writing a lot of fiction since then too. And my left side of the brain has not been quite as active as my right side of the brain. I read somewhere that when you hit the age of uh, you know the late 50s, 60s, 70s, and on up, even into the 90s, your brain doesn't slower. It doesn't get any worse. It changes. It Rather than being one side or the other, older people begin to use both sides of their brains simultaneously. And so I think maybe that's where this piece cropped up in my creativity. And I actually took some classes in pottery because it's so much fun. I do woodworking, which is a very creative activity. I spend a lot of time doing creativity. So that's that's me. But I think from what I've heard with the other people that I talk to, there's a pretty profound change that takes place in one's behavior when they move from a work environment into a retirement environment because of the freedom that it allows you. You've got these pent-up desires and passions that have been held back. And now all of a sudden you can release them and chase after whatever passions you want to. And the beauty of retirement is you can chase after whatever you want to and just drop it if you don't want to, because you're not making money at it. So who cares, right? Absolutely. So uh, I found that to be probably the most significant change. I'm terrified of missing out. You've heard, is it FOMO? FOMO, yes. Fear of missing out. FOMO, fear of missing out. That has jumped up to the top of my mind right now. I've terrified of getting past a certain time in my life when I can't do something anymore. 
So I'm doing everything I possibly can right now. But that's about it. I'm still settled with my family, my wife, my social connections. Everything around me is much the same. It's more of the way that I look at the world and the way that I address the world. So writing's been a big thing so far. You've got involved and you've dived into it. And tell us a little bit about why it's important, in your opinion, to have that type of interest that you can pursue in retirement. For someone else, it might, might be something different than writing. But why, why does that matter so much, and especially the creative aspect that you've talked about? Well, so the, the pundits say you need to retire with activities and passions and interests and hobbies. I think they say you've got to have three hobbies. Right? In my case, I had a lot of interests and a couple of hobbies. And I would agree that for the most part, the pundits are right and that you need to have some sort of passion. But I would change this to say that passion is, is something that's fluid. It can change. And if we step back for a minute and, and define what retirement is, in my mind, Joe, retirement is not needing to work for money. You work for money right now, but you might not need to, which means in a way, in my definition, you are retired because you could stop doing what you're doing at the drop of a hat and move on to something different. And I look at the passion that way. If someone retires, they move into retirement and they can pick up archery, take archery lessons if they want to. And they say, you know what? I accidentally killed my cat. I'm going to quit. So I just drop that immediately. I can take up kayaking. I can learn how to read ancient Egyptian scripts. I can do anything I want to, and I can drop it whenever I want to. And when you do that, you're exploring, you're sort of pushing the limits of your own passion, and you'll stumble across things that you've fallen in love with. I fell in love with writing, but I also fell in love with a variety of other things. I mentioned woodworking. I've fallen in love with that. I've tried a whole bunch of things. That was one that I fell in love with. One that shocked me was volunteering. I was never really a super outgoing kind of guy. And so I thought, oh my God, I go volunteer and I'd hang out with a bunch of freaks. But I did. I volunteered. My wife dragged me along and we volunteer to care for a northern elephant seal that occasionally comes to land to molt, to give, have babies, to do whatever. Um, and our job is to, do, to help take care of that and inform the public. That's a hoot, Joe. I got, I met all kinds of great people, a couple of freaks, but mostly really nice people. And that has become a passion of mine as well. And I don't think my life would be as full as, as it is right now without these, these little degrees of passion. But I could drop them anytime I want to and move on to something different. I captured a little something to illustrate my passion. Like I said, I, I write a lot. I write on a platform called medium.com. And when an article gets posted, I'll get people who comment on that article. And I've been writing for a long time and I get comments from people. And I'm going to read you one. And this is going to be, this is going to underscore one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about writing. This is a, a person who commented on a, a retirement article that I wrote. He said, I retired with zero plans. Now I have too much time on my hands after six months of retirement. And I do sometimes get bored, but that's on me. And I attribute that to lack of motivation. I'm not nearly as busy as I should be, but I'm so grateful I no longer have to deal with the grind of work. And it was a grind, exclamation point. I know how fortunate I am to have no money problems and a former employee that provides health insurance until I'm 65. So I have much to be grateful for. My biggest takeaway from your article, Brian, 
was to volunteer, which I've only thought about until now. Thanks to you, I've sent out some feelers this morning to see if a few places could use a little extra help. That right there means that I touched the heart of somebody somewhere in the world. And hopefully, with my writing, my humble words have made a change in someone's life. Doesn't that feel great? It absolutely does. And I've had the experience where I've had voicemails from listeners who particular guests have inspired to take different actions. Mm. And that, that always is very notable. But it really, that's why you know, we share these stories and share your experiences. And I started following your writing when you had your own website, and you still do. And just wanted to mention to listeners that there are links in the show notes to your writing on Medium and to your, your website. And for those who own cats, that archery thing, you know, to, to the, to the archery has been given up if cats are safe. So, so <laughs> take it through our archery story. But the writing that you're doing well, got my attention because it was about retirement. But you mentioned, too, you're also now working on a novel. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I started, actually, I started with short stories, short story fiction. And I've kind of fallen in love with fiction. I love writing nonfiction articles about retirement a lot because of what I just described to you. But but it's also fun to sort of live in a fantasy world. And I, I don't write fantasy. I just write more conventional fiction. And so I wrote short stories and got a lot of really good feedback on, on my writing style and the stories. Last November, believe it or not, there's a thing that's called NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. And it happens in November. And, and you are challenged. This is, this is worldwide. And you're challenged with writing 50,000 words in a single month. And I said, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself. I'm retired. I got plenty of time. I'm going to do it. So I did. I pounded out 50,000 words in a single month on this novel, which I'd had the concept for for quite a while. I'd been kind of rolling it over in my mind. So I I knew what I was going for. And I finished the 50,000 words and I had a horrible novel at the end of that month. Right. So now I'm going back and fixing it. I'm about a quarter of the way through it. And it's getting better. It's getting good. I, I belong to a number of writing groups and I have some beta readers and whatnot, and I'm feeding it back and forth to them. So that's a lot of fun. I spend a fair amount of my time on that. The book is, it's got a working title called Running in Dreams. If you think about what it's like to try running in, in a dream, the ability of your legs to turn, you kind of get stuck, you're stuck in mud and you can't get around. That's a description, an analogy of what the protagonist in this book is facing. And it's about a young lady. It's an adventure thriller type of fiction, right? And it's about a young lady who has a hard time distinguishing between reality and non-reality or, or fantasy, we'll say. And yet she discovers she has an opportunity to change some of the fundamental problems with the world. Problems like tribalism, you know, racism and hatred and whatnot. Problems like autocracy, like oppression. And she has the ability to to change these things and create a utopia. But the undercurrent of all of this is a question that I sort of quietly ask the readers in their minds is, is the world changeable? Is the nature of mankind innate? Is evil unfixable? Or can we actually fix it? And so that's an exploration of mankind and evil. About a third of the way through it, maybe a quarter of the way through it, and hopefully I'll, uh, I'll have it done with sometime next year, and maybe some of your listeners uh, would like to read it. We'll touch base with you when you're close, and, and certainly Great. I, will, I will be among, among your readers. Now, I also noticed in following your writing that a few times you've taken a shot with 
chat GPT. And I'm wondering, what has chat GPT taught you about retirement? <laughs> yeah, so I told you I come from a technology background. So chat GPT or these large learning models are, are very interesting to me. And that the whole concept of AI is very interesting. We could talk for hours on that another time, of course. But I've been playing with chat GPT. I play with it a lot. And then you hear people talking about how chat GPT is going to take over jobs. It's going to take over writing jobs for corporations. It's going to take over customer support and all those sorts of things. And I thought, well, how good is it for writing? The answer is it sucks. It really sucks at writing. And there's no way I would ever use it to write an article. But it is kind of fun for clever ideas. So for example, I've written a few articles that ask the question of ChatGPT, what are the best low-cost retirement locations in the world? Give me the top 10, right? And it'll give me 10 places. And it'll actually back it up with facts and figures and reasons and whatnot. And then what I do is I'll take that and then I'll do a bunch of research on my side as well. And I'll, I'll look at what is the average temperature, uh, what are the people like, how many expatriates are there, what's the language, all those sorts of things. And then I'll augment these statements, if you will, from chat GPT and, and provide a more rounded look at what those are. And it's actually kind of helpful. They've done really well with uh, readership because people care a lot about these types of subjects. What, do you, what are the best ways to prepare for, for travel? What kind of people am I going to meet? What are the best ways to meet people in retirement? Not traveling, but just how do you meet people in retirement? What are the things that retirees do to stay busy? Those sorts of questions. And it'll give me lists. And then I just enhance some of those, those lists. But it, it's going to be, it's fun to watch. You know, someday it's going to be driving us in our cars. It's going to be doing all kinds of stuff. And if I could take a little bit of a detour here, I have something that I want to talk about technology-wise as advice to your listeners. As you age, it's really easy to fall into your old way of life and use your computer or use technology as you've always used it. And all around you, like mushrooms, new technologies and new things are popping up. When you ignore those, ignore them at your peril, you will be left behind. And I fear that so many people 10, 20, 30 years from now are going to be run over by technology, the steamroller of technology, and they'll be sitting quietly in their basement, staring at their computer screen, wondering why they can't make it work. When everything around them is an, an appliance, you're talking to things, you're interacting in a way that doesn't require keyboards and mouses and computers anymore, you'll be lost. Great advice. And, and I'd argue, you know, as you know, five years from now, it'll be totally different. There's new things coming on all the time and things that can yes. make life a lot easier. So Brian, one last question, if we could, for people listening who are where you were three, four years ago, thinking about retirement, considering it, what advice would you offer them? I get people of all ages reading my material. I got one from a 30-year-old the other day and said, wow, I appreciate the advice. I think I'll start looking at you know, retirement planning and saving and whatnot. And, you know, if you want to go back that far in time, then we need to advise people, young people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, that the future is uncertain. You'd better have some money. You'd better not keep up with the Joneses. You'd better be careful with your debt. You, all of those same things that you hear every day. I'm not saying anything unusual, but it's really hard to reach people at that, that age. 
it's a lot easier to reach people when they hit their 50s because they're going, holy cow, now I'm facing retirement. What am I going to do? And I have a, I wrote an article about this. It's a very interesting way to prepare. Obviously, at the age 50, you need to prepare. At age 55, you need to prepare. You need to have enough money to start shoveling it with a coal shovel, with a snow shovel into your savings accounts and your 401ks. And for God's sake, stop buying cars and getting into debt and all that kind of crap. My trick is to practice retirement. It's a really strange concept, but I did this myself and it worked really, really well for me. And I've written articles about it and I've counseled people on how to prepare for retirement by practicing. So here's how it works. You don't know what it's like on the other side. You don't know if you have enough things to do, enough activity. You don't know if you have enough money. You don't know anything, right? So in the morning, when you get up, you're getting ready to go to work. You step into the shower. And as you're showering yourself, you spend maybe 30 seconds and you say, I am retired today. What am I going to do? And you give it 30 seconds or maybe a minute to think about it. And the first week or so, you're going to go, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I don't know. Maybe I'll go take a walk. And then the second week you go, you know, I've never visited Ireland. I think I would start planning a trip to Ireland today. And then the third week and the fourth week and the fifth week, you start coming up with all these fantastic ideas and you start to get a flavor of what it's like to be retired, even though you're not, and you're standing in the shower pretending like you're retired. That's practicing retirement. And that's probably the number one piece of advice I'd give you because it incorporates activities and incorporates what it's like to be on the other side. You have to ask yourself questions about money, about health, about all of those things that you need to have to be successful in retirement. So just practice, Joe. It's that easy. I love that. Great advice. Practical. You're, you you have taken over showers tomorrow morning and, and going forward all across uh, our listening audience. People will be uh, using that time differently, but great, great advice. And Brian, thanks for joining us. Again, for people listening, there are links in the show notes. You'll definitely want to check out Brian's writing on retirement. Great advice and observations and perspectives included there. Thanks, Brian. Thank you very much. Time for takeaways. Three ideas that you can take action on following this conversation today. Number one, bring your whole brain to your retirement. I think this is an important aspect that Brian highlighted, sharing a lot of his activities on the creative side. I see that in a lot of the work I do. People coming out of left brain oriented careers really are getting a lot of satisfaction out of experimenting, playing around, and diving into creative pursuits. It might be the opposite for you, but regardless, bring your whole brain to the party. Number two, find your rhythm. Give yourself time to do this, but be attentive to what's the right rhythm of your days, weeks, and months in your retirement. Give yourself time and grace to be able to figure that out. Don't expect it to be perfect from the get-go. Number three, practice. We're talking about practice. Indeed, we are. Brian's idea of practicing retirement is spot on. Look for opportunities to test drive certain things. Maybe it's his suggestion of the shower, or maybe it's taking a week off without an agenda to see what the rhythm of life would feel like. Or maybe it's going to a place you might want to move to, not on vacation, but in a different mode of what it would really be like to live there. Practice makes maybe not perfect, but it can get you off to a better start. Thanks for listening to Retirement Wisdom Podcast. The mission here is to help you retire smarter by focusing on the life side of the retirement planning equation. 
You can find all of our episodes at a glance at our website, retirementwisdom.com, across six seasons, a lot of great guests like Brian and other topics that you might want to peruse. Thanks for listening.